Yeah, we're going to see. Last week we had such a great time together, Pentecost Sunday, uh, what a, a great time of worship and prayer time and altar time, and um, if, if you don't know what that means, man, go back to Acts chapter 2 and remember that, that God has empowered us all to be spirit-filled people, and it's so that we can be witnesses to Him uh, locally, right where you're at, expanding out wherever you're at, and you can call it your house, your neighborhood, your whatever, you can call it your city, your state, your, your nation, however you want to call it, but we have been empowered people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that, that explosive on the inside that, that takes what's on the inside and it comes out. Uh, unfortunately for a lot of Christians today, it's almost like implosive that they have this relationship with Jesus, but it all kind of just sucks back into them instead of it going out. Our job as Christians is to get it out, right? And, and you can say, well, you know, I'm just not that kind of a person. Well, then you need to change. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to be secret service agents, keep it all on the inside. We should never be embarrassed by what we believe or ashamed to share this gospel. Imagine if somebody had been ashamed to share it with you. Where would you be? And so we've been called to do something that he knew we couldn't do on on our own. We would be too afraid. We'd, We'd feel too rejected. That's why it gives us the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us bold, that makes us stand up, that makes us speak. And the Holy Spirit, even when we don't know what to say, will remind us what we're supposed to say. That's the beauty of it. And, and this morning, we're going to continue along with that flow and talk about how the Spirit influences us because the Spirit's given to change our lives. Did you know that? It's to do a couple things to convict us of our sin, but then also to comfort us, to remind us that we are His children and, and why He had to convict us is because He loves us. The, even though the New Testament says that He disciplines those that He loves, Right? And so part of that conviction is, hey, you got to stop this, not because you're a bad boy or a girl, but because it's going to harm you on the way in the future, and I don't want that for you. I want to see your life amazing. I want to see you not get tangled up in sin again. I want to see you be the person that is free and has the abundant life that I paid for. He's also there to guide us. There's times when we don't know what to do, and the Holy Spirit comes, and He, he guides us and, and gives us a, a direction, and He's a teacher. He teaches us how to pray when we don't know how to pray. There's all kinds of things, but this morning, one of the things that we often disassociate with the Holy Spirit is, is the topic uh, this morning, and, and before you, you freak out, Just realize that this is one of the hardest topics that pastors ever have to deal with. And not because it's some gray area, but because it is so specific, but we just hate it. And this morning we're talking about how the Holy Spirit deals with your heart about money. That's a great thing to talk about on Memorial Day, right? Woohoo! You're all so excited, I know. But did you know that how you handle money is a sign of your discipleship? Hmm. And I love the, there was a, a sign here, I can't remember what church in town, but they, they had those little reader boards up, and it says, anybody can honk if you love Jesus, tithe. Right? And as a pastor, again, many of you have, haven't been in the ministry, those of you that have, I think maybe you'll get this, but it's amazing that this is kind of like the final frontier for many people. 
This seems to be the last thing that, that they give their heart to. This is the last thing that they surrender to Jesus. And, and it's because of our American attitude, which is, what's mine is mine. And I worked hard for this, and, and I earned this. And, and I'm here to tell you, no, you didn't. Maybe you did work hard, but everything belongs to him. You wouldn't have that job without Him. You wouldn't have that paycheck without Him. You wouldn't have the life that you have without Him. But if you don't think through that, you think it's you doing what you're doing and you deserve what you deserve. You deserve hell. Aren't you thankful He didn't give us that? And so hang on tight this morning and just realize it's going to be very pointed. And, and, and I want you to understand the fullness of this. See, what happens is we read this verse that I'm about to read and we want to make it about something else. But when we get to the end, I want you to understand that Jesus was very specific for a specific reason. So we're going to ask this question this morning, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And now you could say, well, logistically, it's about 18 inches below my head to the left of my sternum. Behind my rib cage, in front of my lungs, it's, it's right there, Pastor. And he's not talking about the organ He's talking about your value system, how you view the world and, and your situation of, of what is it all about. And so if you'll join me in Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus himself teaching. And he realizes this is an issue even back then. And here's what he says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. So notice that he's talking about material things because moths don't eat spiritual things, right? So don't make this spiritual this morning. It's physical, it's material. This is what he's talking about at this point. Spiritual things don't rust either, right? So he's talking about things that we hold in our hands, things that can uh, fall to the effects of oxidization, which is rusting, right? The things that we see, the things that we can grip, and where thieves break in and steal. Again, he's making it very simple. The things that people do, we tend to collect things. We tend to purchase things. We tend to invest in things. And he says, instead, verse 20, store your treasures where? Now, it's tough to store physical treasure in heaven, which is the point. If you store up treasures there, moths and rust cannot destroy it, and thieves cannot break in and steal it. Think about that for just a minute. You want to know where a good investment is, invest in a spiritual future, a spiritual eternity, because nobody can touch it there. It is safe. But that's also contrary to the American dream and our way of thinking in the West, which is who dies with the most toys wins. Well, let's remember that who dies with the most toys still dies. And the toys don't get you anything. Here's what he's saying. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Notice this. Wherever you're putting the value, whatever your treasure is for you, That's where your heart is. And so we'd say, Lord, I give you everything except this. God, you can have my whole life, just not this. (laughs) Just keep your hands off the bank account. Keep your hands off my retirement. Keep your hands 
off my ability to buy stuff and invest in stuff and collect stuff and because, you know, that stuff is important to me. And he says, hmm, you got to be careful because I don't mind you having the stuff. I just don't want the stuff to have you. And that's the issue in our modern-day world. People have more stuff than they need. The problem is not that we have stuff. The problem is that the stuff has us. And when the stuff has us, that we're not fully given over to Jesus Christ. And he's like, I want you to be blessed. And if you've got lots of money, great. That's not such a blessing. But don't let that money have you and begin to drive you. Here's what he says. This is what's so strange about Jesus is he talks about one thing, and then it seems like he's shifting gears, but he's not shifting gears at all. He's making it very understandable for us. Because what he's really saying is it's an eye problem. It's not a money problem. It's not a decimal point problem. It's an eye problem. Look what he says right here. Your eye... Now, wait a minute. We were just talking about goods. We were just talking about things that can rust. We were talking about where our treasures are. And then he goes and transitions without missing a beat. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides what? Light for your body. When your eye is good, get this this morning. That's why I'm putting this up front before you zone me out. When your eye is good or when you have a right view, he says, your whole body is filled with light. Okay. Now, what he's really talking is about goodness and his word and his ways. He doesn't mean that we turn into little lighthouses that glow and do all of that. Okay. So, so don't get sidetracked. When you see right, when your vision is right, you see through, like Jesus sees, you see the light of His truth and the light of His Word. But, He says, when your eye is bad, when you don't see like He sees, your whole body is filled with... Now get this. Notice that it's just your viewpoint that either makes you light or dark. And he says, it's how you view. Your eyes see. Do your eyes see things so that you can collect them and covet them and keep them? Or do your eyes see things as tools that God's provided so that you can use them for others and to give Him glory? One's going to determine whether you're light or one's going to determine whether you're dark. But notice what he says, that what, however you view this, your whole body, your being is filled with whichever you view, light or dark. There's no in-between, light or dark. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You know what he's saying? If you think that you can view life unlike Jesus does, and you think that that's right... You're so dark, you don't even know you're dark. Let that sink in for just a minute. If you think, I can live my life however I want, and I've got Jesus, darkness, and so much darkness that you don't even know what darkness is. Or, we see His Word, and we line up with His Word, and our lives become filled with light and good and love and His power, and nothing can stop that. And we have light. But notice that He says, when you stray and your eye, if you think 
that your contrary living is okay, you're in deep, 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 deep darkness. In fact, you've forgotten what darkness means. And can we not say today that we've reached a point where people are now calling wrong right and right wrong? And the Scriptures in the Old Testament speak to that. It says, woe when those times come when good is evil and evil is good. It's because you've forgotten what evil is. That's why we can now say it's good. Just because it's pleasurable doesn't mean it's good. But he says this starts with how you view the world around you, how you view what God says, how you view what He's given you, how you view because your eyes, your lamps... Are either going to be light or dark? Verse 24, he comes back to the point, no one can serve two masters. No, 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 pastor, I, I disagree. I'm a person that can handle money well. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. Notice the darkness. There isn't a, there isn't a kind of like a, and a sort of a, you either love the one or you love the other. And you've got a choice. Am I going to love God in His ways or am I going to love money? There is no in between. There's good. There's evil. There's light. There's dark. There's one master, God, or there's another master, money. And money is an incredible tool. But it's a horrible master. And many of us know this. You know where money has gotten you. You know what the pursuit of money has gotten you. You know that it leaves you empty. You know that it is never satisfied. That is part of the issue. You'll either hate the one or despise the other. And this is right from God's Word. So you've got to understand this. He wants you to make no mistake of this treasure that He's talking about. He's not talking about, oh, I treasure my grandkids. He's not talking about that. Look at this last verse. What does He say? You cannot serve both God and mammon, if you read the old version, or money. Okay? Now, why do you think He was telling His people this? Because they struggle with serving God and money. <laughs> People are still dealing with this today. We still have a divided heart if we're not careful. We still pursue one thing saying, Hey, I can do this. I can pursue this. But God, you're my master. No, He's not. If you can't surrender your pocketbook, He's not Lord of all. And this is such a strange thing to me. I mean, I, again, I, I had a different uh, salvation experience and, and, and a, a, just a different life before Christ and, and completely different after Christ. But it's amazing to me how many people can have read and heard and been in church forever and they still don't get their money. It's the last stronghold. It's the, I'm not doing that. I'll never do that. Or... Uh, I can't afford to do that. Just remember, it's not a money problem. It's not a decimal point problem. It's a heart problem. It's you not giving everything to God. Aren't you thankful he didn't ask for the 90? 
Come on, church. For those of you that are wondering, what's he talking about? God calls us to tithe, which is 10%. Now, here's what's so awesome about God. If you don't earn any money, how much do you owe? 10% of zero is? For those of you that are young and you're figuring out the new math, 10% is zero, zero. Okay? But there's also a specific pattern to this, that it's the first 10%. See, this is where people get hung up. I'll give 10% after my stuff. I'll give 10% of what's left over. That's not called the first fruits. That's called the leftovers. And people are like, I'm not in a position to do that. Could you be? Will you even consider it? And the only way you'll ever line it up is if you actually start making a change. If you think that someday I'll just be rich enough I can tithe, I'll tell you that as you get richer, you have less tendency to tithe. Because you start counting the zeros. But it's not a zero issue. I'm just telling you, church, it's not a zero issue. It's an evil heart issue. But you cannot serve two masters. And so I would ask you this morning, give me your greatest reason why you don't tithe. And you'd be hard-pressed. And there's lots of excuses. I've heard all kinds of excuses. But I'm talking about an actual reason. Because I can guarantee living where we live, I'll bet you you waste 10% of your income already. And I know this is pressure-filled this morning, and we're not taking up another offering. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we're not taking up an offering after the sermon this morning? But let's talk through a couple biblical things that this is not the only place. This is just one of many that God shows us. How are we supposed to handle our money? And I don't mean just the physical, but what's our attitude towards it? So let's talk about Hebrews chapter 13. Look what he says. Very specific. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Wow. If we could just get under the load of that this morning. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Money can go. Anybody remember 2008? The world crashed. Things that were saved up were gone like that. Your money can go like that. And yet our God is with us forever. He knows how to provide our needs. He knows how we need and how much we need and how long we'll need it. But we keep putting God on our money like somehow that's trusting God, but we really aren't trusting God, especially in our Western culture. Don't love money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, smartest man in the world that wrote this book, he says, those who love money will never have enough. Now think about that for just a minute. Those that love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How about the New Testament, 1 Timothy? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. You, are you hearing this overwhelming theme? Which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, 
They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. See, that's the trick of money, is that the more we accumulate, usually the less we're willing to share. It has an attraction. It has a magnetic grip on us. And I have found through years of ministry that the people that don't make as much seem to be more generous than those who do. Just facts. And in any given church across any denomination, the reality is 20% of the people pay 80% of the bills. Staggering. And that's the amazing part of God. He still takes care of it. But imagine if we could beat the odds and we could have 80% of the people paying 80% of the bills and give us the freedom and the ministry and the abundance. Because again, it's not a a decimal problem. It's not a zero after zero problem. It's a heart problem. By doing this, if you'll stop trusting and you'll be generous, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Notice how those two go hand in hand. If you'll start handling your money right, you're already storing up a good future for you because you've put God in first place instead of money in first place. We should use our money to do good and not just good for ourselves. You see, the, one of the issues that we face in our American culture is that money came to me, so I'm going to use it for me. But God brings us things to bless other people. And yes, he knows you have bills. And notice he's not saying get rid of all money, just uh, sell everything and live in a tent. He's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is, What's your view on this? Remember we go back to the eyes? What's your view on the money you've been given? Is it so you can acquire more stuff? Or is it so you can actually bless those around you? Now that's so contrary. Well, why would I want to do that? If those people want that money, they should work for it for themselves. Is that a Christian principle? No, it is not. What if God said to you, well, great, work your way into heaven. You don't get in until you deserve it, until you earn it. Or was something freely given so that you and I could pass from this life into His? God is a giver. God is such a great giver that He gave His only Son, that He gave His life. He gave us life. He gave us peace and hope and joy and He gives and He gives and He gives, and yet in this moment, in this small section of our life that can be so painful for us to talk about, it really reveals where our heart is. Some of you right now, you just can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) Some of you right now, you've never even heard this concept. You're like, wow. Okay, great. There's an easy way to do this. You can do it online. You can do it on a tithing envelope. You can write a check. You just have to start someplace. And maybe, maybe I'm a generous guy. Maybe you're saying, I am so upside down, Pastor. I truly don't have an extra 10%. Great. Start someplace. But you waiting, I'll, I'll tithe when I can afford it. You'll never afford it. Because if you view with money, you'll never afford it. You've got to start someplace. So start with two. Start with five. 
Start with 20 and work your way backwards. I don't know. Start someplace. But this is the most even, equal, incredible process. If you make $100 this week, you owe 10%. If you made $100,000 this week, you still only owe 10%. Isn't that amazing? And yet, we think it doesn't matter. It does. God talks about money a lot. Not because He's obsessed with money, but He's obsessed with you. And every time you resist, you're showing Him, you're not my God. Money is. And not only is that tragic, not for Him, He's going to be just fine, but for you. That sooner or later, those things will drag us away from Him. And you could say... You know, I'm not so sure, Pastor. Do you know how many people have heard a message on money and have never come back to church? Was that my fault? Or was that a heart issue? Heart issue. Or every time I come to church, they're talking about money. Maybe God's trying to get your attention, dude. Because both those times you were in church, <laughs> let's just take a look here as we move along. So, how we handle money uh, actually reveals our focus. What are we focused on? What are we trusting in? Now, now here at New Life, we've we've got some simple ways that we that anybody can do this. So. A part of our strategy of honoring God and leading others is that we're going to follow Jesus, okay? That makes sense, right? Because I don't expect anybody, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't expect you to give one cent. Because you, you don't have a God that you're serving other than money. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then follow His principles, and He tells us what we should do. Then we can join our mission. Our mission is to lead others into a a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We can all bring a friend. We can all choose community, not just here, but doing this. But one of these five things that we can, can and should be doing is to give generously. And not just the stuff at your garage sale. But right there out of your bank account, right there out of your wallet, Right there out of your life. And, and again, if you're somebody that's already tithing and giving, thank you, thank you, thank you, not only for being obedient, but for being part of the mission of this church. But there's also other areas that we can give as well. But one of the first ways to show our responsibility and our maturity is to handle the money issue. Let's just set it down and just believe that right now God has said, you should be a tither, because He said that. You can go and read Malachi chapter 3, verses 9, 10, 11, and you're going to see what He says. But the reality is, we know this. You don't have to be convinced the issue only sits in your heart, because you do this in a lot of different places. Who gets to walk into Costco without a membership card? Who gets to go to the gym without a membership card. Right? Who gets to drive our cars without putting a tab and a license plate on it? 
Isn't that funny that we pay those things? And yes, you probably gripe about those things, but isn't it funny that you have no issue doing that? You do it because it's just part of doing business. Can I tell you that tithing is part of doing business? It's part of being a Christian. It's part of breaking our habit to be coveters and materialistic people, and we should thank God that He gives us the ability, or we would be lost in money. We would. And we're still struggling with it today. We get lost in the money. We get lost in, I made it and I got to keep it. And what if it's gone? Jesus has said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. The money doesn't get you into heaven. The money doesn't make you happier. The money doesn't store up anything for you because it can be gone like that. But this greed isn't the money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So how do we realign our hearts? I'm, I'm glad you asked because I've got a, a solution for you this morning. Great man of God that teaches finance, his name is Ron Blue. This is his quote, and this is what he says. If we allow money to become our master, it'll always lead to fear of loss, resentment in our families, and ultimately a despising of God. Money will never relent in its pursuit of everything we value. Think about that. Money will never stop. There, was, there will never be enough until it has all of you. It is in direct competition with God who also says, I want all of you. And I want all of you to be blessed. And I want all of you to be rich in me. And money is like, no, more. 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 And pretty soon, what happens when our family's too expensive? What happens when our, you start looking at it through what it's worth? And that's a sad place to be. Especially, it just leads us to fear. Fear of loss. What happens if I don't have it? I'm going to share uh, just a fact with you real quick. There was a time in history before money. And people existed and did just fine. (laughs) But now it's almost like internet and cell phones. How do we live without it? There was a time we did. It was just fine. In fact, it was simpler. It was better. But God knew where we were going. If you look at even the Ten Commandments, don't covet. Why? He knew that we were going to have this issue. So let's understand this morning, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a materialism issue. And those things will enslave you. More stuff just enslaves you. Those of you that ever had to pack up after a loved one died, you know how much stuff we acquire. And then they're dead, and it doesn't mean anything to you usually. All that stuff they acquired is getting loaded into a dumpster or a huge yard sale because you don't want it. And all that time and all that collecting and all that... And for some people, it even goes farther. They become a hoarder, and and what a a life that just drives and drives. Now they've got emotional connection to stuff. And I can't get rid of this. God knows how we're made, and He's given us a way to break these things. 
And I'm not saying it's easy. It, it requires a lifestyle change. It requires us taking money out of the first place slot and putting it way down here below that, quote, unalienable rights as people. Life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And believe me, if you think money makes you happy, what happens if it's gone tomorrow? Will you be unhappy for the rest of your life? I can't wait. I would love to go back to a bartering system. We all have value. We all have abilities to do things. And I'll paint your house if you give me three chickens. And Right? And I don't have to worry about a bank account. I don't have to worry about counting the zeros. And I don't have to... How easy is that? And those of you that are thinking through it, it will require more than three chickens for me to paint your house. But... Can't pull one over on me. Like I said earlier, money is discipleship. If we follow Jesus' plan for money, we will have an abundant life and be free and be generous. Now, the great part is, like I said, he doesn't ask for the 90%, and he doesn't say everybody has to be poor. He just said, have the right relationship with money. You follow me, I'll show you how money should have its place, and then you won't have to worry about it. You let me worry about it. You just do your part. And all of us are going to have different areas that we struggle in, but this is still a huge one, and it's even growing in our nation. Money shouldn't drive the important things of our life. But that's what we're becoming. Number four, we need to switch from a live and owe lifestyle to a give and grow lifestyle. And what I mean by that is many of us view our money like this is how much I need to live and this are the bills that I owe. And that's all we think about for our money. I've just got to get enough to live and I've got to get enough to owe. What if we have a thought process where we flip that and catch this? What if we set a spending limit so that I can be a person that gives and grows instead of just living and owing? Did you know it's not illegal to set a spending limit for yourself? It goes contrary to nature, but it's not illegal. In fact, it'd be the thing we should do. Imagine if our nation did that. I think we're at $27 trillion in debt right now. And you don't have a concept of how much that is, and nobody does. But here's the reality. What if we just set a limit for our lives? I'm not going to spend above this much every month. Because what most of us do is, how much do I have? That's how much I'll spend. (laughs) And for some of us, how much do I have? Well, I'm going to spend a little bit more. Because you believe that there will be a paycheck next week. But what if there's not? Or that there won't be an emergency. But what if there is? Do you know how much one car crash in intensive care costs? (laughs) Most people don't have that saved up. and, And if you do, you probably won't be able to afford it. But the reality is, how we begin to view our money should be more about How do I live within my means so that it gives me margin to bless the people around me? 
to support God's mission around me. Support a missionary. Support a cause. Support God's kingdom. So, I mean, we do so many great works here locally through giving away food and community house and clothing. And, and it's all, but that stuff doesn't just happen for free, let alone the missionaries that get supported around the world that take the gospel of Jesus Christ globally into Southeast Asia and the Philippines and Israel and the Congo. I mean, how do you think that that happens? People that give, people that are generous. But generous means an open hand, not a clenched fist. It's about learning to give and grow instead of, man, i got to hang on to this. And if you think that paying your tithes is paying a bill, you've got a wrong heart. It's not about paying the bills. It's a free offering to God saying, thank you. It's just a little way of saying thank you for eternal life. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, Lord. And by doing this, you've also given me the plan to break my materialistic habits and my greed. And Lord, thank you. And it's amazing, and, and it doesn't happen very often, but you hear of people that finally get a hold of this and how God blesses them. And pretty soon, it, it's extreme, and it, and it takes time. But I think of people that have become business owners that kept this principle, and pretty soon they're doing this crazy thing where they're giving back 90% and living on the 10%. And that's, I mean, it's like unheard of for us. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine flipping that equation and that you're living on the 10% and giving away 90%? When we look to money for our happiness, when we look to money for our security, what you're really saying is that Jesus isn't your source. And I know you didn't say it, but that's what you mean. When money is your security, that means that Jesus isn't. When money is, is what you're building on, then it means that Jesus isn't. If money is what you're following and money is what dominates you, it means that Jesus isn't. And there's a great way to get past that, and he gave us the plan for it. It's just that simple. Now, for those of you that say, hey, I'm already there. Uh, again, I say thank you. I would also say you're not through yet. Because as we get better with our money, we begin to accumulate more of it. But that's where we need to be able to give. Maybe give to special projects or give to missionaries. Do something more than spend it on you so that the seeds get planted. Because when we just eat it, we're eating the seed instead of planting the seeds of the kingdom. And so there's lots of opportunities. And those of you who want to get radical this morning, the good news is you can't tithe more than 10%. It's only 10%. Anything above that, that's what the Bible calls an offering. So you're saying, oh, this morning, pastor got me guilty. I'm giving 20%. Nope, you're tithing 10% and giving 10%. Okay? So let's end this as clearly as I can, because I, I, I don't want there to be any lingering doubts or any excuses. Some of you are rationalizing, hey, I'm already giving, and I wouldn't, wouldn't deny that. The question is, are you tithing? Are you tithing? And why I ask is this. According to God's Word, when we tithe, 
He stands in the gap for us and breaks the curse of covetousness and greed. And he takes what he calls, gives a a term for the devil there, his access to our money. He breaks that curse off. And he says, you want to you break the curse? Tithe. You want to know maybe why you keep seeing your money spin? Maybe it's that simple principle right there. You've got holes in your pockets. As you don't tithe, your money is cursed, and it keeps finding its way out through a new refrigerator or new tires for your car or your computer broke down or... And I'm not saying God's causing that. I'm just saying your money will go someplace because it's got a curse on it if we don't know how to bring it under God's alignment. I want you to be blessed. I hope you would want to be blessed. And not out of guilt or shame or some legalism. I don't look at your giving statements. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wanting to have a life that's worthy of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a life where money doesn't have us, but we have it. And to use it to do good and to be generous instead of gripping it so tightly that it squeaks through our fingers. What would our world look like if we, if we gave freely and that money didn't have a hold of us? I believe that's what God wants for us. I believe He wants you free from the worry and the fear, and the insecurity that comes when we get money above God. And it's a tough, tough decision to make. But it's the biblical decision. It's the right decision. It's the godly decision that takes a little bit of practice, but you'll see the dividends on the other side. <laughs>